This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. WFAN, WFAN-FM, New York, a radio.com station. It's going to be a fun fest today. Uh, we're off to one of those good starts on a Sunday morning. Matter of fact, it is Super Bowl Sunday morning. Big game is on the fan today. And quite the all-star lineup on WFAN today. Proud to be with you on Sunday morning. Matter of fact, Super Bowl Sunday morning, appropriately enough. And good morning. I'm Bob Salter. Over the next couple hours, hopefully we bring you some good information and um, also do it in a fashion that is eh, at least somewhat, hopefully, uh, entertaining too. Uh, That's part of what we like to do on this program on Sundays. And um, we have guests who are scheduled to join us on our program today who bring some interesting perspectives uh, to the discussion First hour of our uh, program, we're scheduled to be speaking with the um, founder of an organization we've talked about before on this program called uh, Community Options Incorporated, uh, which is a national-based organization uh, that is uh, headquartered in um, central New Jersey and is celebrating its 30th anniversary, um, interestingly enough, this weekend. And um, we're going to be talking with, hopefully, with the president, CEO, and founder of that organization. We're trying to connect with him at this point in our discussion. And in the next hour of our program, we move into a discussion about um, AHRC New York City and talk with uh, their CEO, uh, Marco Damiani, who will be in studio with us on our program in uh, the interim, before we connect with our uh, first guest, if you want to jump in, um, I guess we can open up the phones a little bit until we do that connection. Our number here at The Fan is 877-337-6666. Eh, let's see what's on your minds um, this morning. Having survived that brutal snap of cold weather, perhaps a dose of reality, um, what was it, Punxsutawney Phil and... Pennsylvania is predicted an early spring. Eh, I don't know. We're in February. I tend to be skeptical. I tend to be one of those people who thinks, eh, February, there's no guarantees about March or April either. Not really going to be sure that winter's gone until May, um, just based on previous experience. But the groundhog yesterday said that 
spring will be around basically before we know it. That would be nice. And we are going to be seeing some moderation in uh, temperatures, especially from where we were. So that will definitely be a plus uh, if that does pan out uh, this week. But, you know, the downside to that is that it seems like just about everywhere you go and almost everybody that you run into is sick these days. And um, you do really have to take care of yourself because you have people who are sneezing all over the place, coughing all over the place. Um, You know, those of you who were listening to WFAN yesterday heard Evan having to suffer through with laryngitis. What a trooper coming in here and doing a show with laryngitis. I mean, I, I, I really felt for him as I was listening to that and just thinking about what he was going through. But I was also thinking just how many people I have encountered and I know have already been sick this year, including people who've gotten the flu shot traditionally. And of course, there's a whole other area of controversy because there are people who get the flu shot every year, almost um, some would say religiously. Um, And there are those people who that's the last thing in the world they want to do is be connected in any way whatsoever um, with the flu shot. Um, Question for you. Is that something you do, or is it something you try to avoid anymore? So I guess the question is, with winter officially upon us, how prepared are you? You know, it's first weekend in, in February, after all. And we shouldn't really be that surprised that temperatures dipped. But I think it was, it wasn't so much the mercury and the temperatures But I think the combination of the temperatures and when the wind kicked up and went to those really, really brutal wind chills that people are just not that used to um, around here. And that was like almost like entering a new world for a lot of folks, I think. And, you know, of course traditionally have the situation where you know a lot of people were dealing with dead car batteries um, you know you have situations where unfortunately you know, roads sidewalks times can get treacherous to um, move on um, you had some situations where schools had to have Delayed openings, I guess in some workplaces there were somewhat delayed openings as well. Um, And it's been kind of touchy at points. But you know, one thing, outside of that really weird day in November that no one will forget, we really haven't had a wallop 
weather-wise yet. And I think the key word there is yet. The question then becomes, are we due? Is this something we should be expecting? You know, I say that knowing full well that over the next couple of days, the high temperatures are supposed to be in the 50s. I think it's actually supposed to be in the 40s uh, later today. But it's like this weather keeps cycling up, cycling down. Anyway, you want to jump into discussion, open things up for a while. If we connect with our first guest, uh, we'll move on to a discussion with him. If not, we'll connect with him at another time. 877-337-6666, our number here at The Fan. Let's go to uh, Vernon in Manhattan. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing well, Vernon. I'm doing good, too. Well, there's two things you brought up that's very interesting. We had that vortex mm-hmm. of that Arctic blast that came into uh, the Midwest and also in um, the East Coast. I know out there in Chicago, they suffered the worst from that Arctic blast. But the thought of it is that um, every year uh, people should get the flu shots. Uh, it's very important. It's also healthy in reference to uh, people getting sick with the flu. So uh, the thought is that um, get the shot, and we just have to work around the weather as they come back and forth. Uh, that's my thoughts for today, and you have a nice day. Now, hang on for a second. got to ask a question because sure. some of the people listening to us are going to think, well, wait a minute, do you get the flu shot every year? Uh, once in a while. <laughs> um, I have to be honest. I'm not going to sit there and say uh, I don't. Uh, because when you feel good, uh, you, you think not to get the flu shot. And uh, other times when you feel like it's coming on, <laughs> you run to get the flu shot. So I have to be honest. I don't get it every year, but um, it's an important thing for health-wise. Because uh, I know one time I didn't get the shot, and boy, did I get sick. I really got sick very bad uh, from the um, flu. It took a long time for it to leave, maybe about two, three weeks. Uh, it really uh, hit me hard. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> Definitely not fun. <laughs> Vernon, thank you very much for your call this morning. All right, have a nice day. You and too go now. Rams. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> Obviously not a Patriots fan. Uh, let's see. We go next to Richard in Manhattan. Richard, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Yeah, hi, Bob. Good morning. You know, not yeah. only did I get my flu shot, I also just got my first of two shingles shot. Oh, so that's something to there get. I did okay, too. No rash and no uh, numbness in the arms, so that's good. Uh, as far as the weather, now I've been around New York for 64 Novembers, and we never had snow, that much snow where you had to shovel that early, November 15th. Right. Never. We had a huge snowstorm the day before Thanksgiving in 1989 where we had, I think, three feet of snow. That was unbelievable. But never November 15th. But look at this. All the half of November, all of December, all of January, and next week we have no snow. So that means half of February we have not had to use a shovel to shovel snow. We have had no significant snow since that November 15th day, that Thursday that shut down the city. That's unbelievable. It is. Unbelievable weather. It is. It, it, it's very, very strange. And, you know, you, you, you think to yourself, what's really going on? You know, I, I tend to be skeptical, and I always think, well, it, it hasn't happened so far, but 
uh, maybe in a couple of weeks we wind up getting those blizzard conditions or something yeah. like that. Uh, Bob, it's also ironic, too. People have been talking about the Super Bowl, uh, and 17 years ago, the Tuck game when Mm -hmm. uh, Brady, uh, you know, that controversial play against Oakland. I remember that winter also. And I remember because the night of the Tuck game when uh, Brady played Oakland, it was a tremendous snowstorm in New York City. I had to go to a wedding out in New Jersey. And what I remembered about that day, I think it was uh, January 20th, uh, uh, 2002, that was the only snowstorm, only snowstorm, the only time we had to have a sh- use a shovel that whole winter was on that night. I'll never forget that. So that was the irony of that. 17 years ago, we only had one snowstorm. Let's see what happens this winter. So far, it's been a very, very good winter. We have had no worrying about slipping and falling, you know, just a few patches here and there, but nothing too bad. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you. You want to join us in the discussion, 877-337-6666. That's our number here at The Fan. Goodness, Francesa Deal Malusis? Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Wowee. I'm honored just to be here on Sunday morning. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. On our program today, we've had a little bit of a change from what we had planned to do, and what we've done is open up the phones here. 877-337-6666. You know... I've said we can talk about whatever you wanted to talk about. I brought up um, the weather, and that seems to have gotten the attention, interest of a couple of people talking to us. Um, Really, we can go wherever you want to take us in this discussion. Sometimes those are some of the most interesting discussions we have on this program. Let's go back to the phones and go to uh, Bob in Little Ferry, New Jersey. Robert, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning, good morning, Robert, to you. Uh, you know, let me take this opportunity because of the change in scheduling to say something personal. You come across as a very, very likable guy. I'm sure everybody agrees with me. Uh-oh. And I would love to sit, on, sit in in the class with you because what happens is this. If you're in a class and you have an instructor that's kind of indifferent, in other words, this is what we're studying, uh, read the book. If you don't read the book, that's your problem. And, and that reflects on the students. They kind of get that vibe. In your particular case, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that you come across so well with the students, and the students appreciate what you're sharing with them, that they study harder, and they actually do better in whatever is the program because of your personality. Does that? Do you think if you're like that, and I know you are, do you feel that your students really get a lot out of your your courses? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I've always been very, very blessed by that because I try to take everything that I always hated about school, and a lot of that was being lectured to or at, and throw that out the window and make the experience one that's interactive. And that's what works with modern students these days, no matter what their age is. That's uh, that's exactly what I expected out of you. I'd love to sit in on the class. Uh, let, let me get to the uh, issues today. Number one, let me tell the motorists out there that the roads, uh, as you know, I'm in trucking business for many, many years. Mm-hmm. The roads, I've never seen them this bad. Number one, they tried to fix the potholes up on the roads from last season, and they do that when the weather is good in the summer and then into the fall. There were so many potholes, they really never got done. And now suddenly the winter came. 
So now we have the new potholes, which are caused by the uh, the treatments on the roads uh, and just the, the cold weather and everything else. The potholes are absolutely incredible. The cars pulled over on the sides of the roads with flat tires and broken rims and everything else. It's just another thing. So maybe we haven't had a lot of snow, which is wonderful. But at the same time, there's a lot that we have to contend with. And um, let's go back to November, Bob. Mm. When we go back to that November storm, the poor governor, it wasn't the governor's fault. (laughs) I spoke to a couple of people that were involved with snow removal. What happened is this. The snow wasn't predicted to be too high, and it really wasn't. But it came down, and so we were told days in advance, it was like a week in advance, beware of the storm, the storm. and So all the employees told the people, okay, everybody go home around 3 o'clock. I'll let you all out because the storm is coming at rush hour. So the roads are loaded with vehicles about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The snow started coming. Well, the plows, you know, they're on standby. All of a sudden, the temperature drops below the freezing line. When it dropped below the freezing line, that snow that was on the road and, you know, that was uh, turned to, uh, like, water started freezing. Mm-hmm. Well, what did you expect the tow trucks to do? I mean, the uh, the plows to do. The roads are back-to-back with traffic. The plows can't go out and service the roads. So, ironically, the governor now, uh, it treats the roads so much that it's almost a joke. If if he hears on the weather report there's a possibility of snow in North Dakota, uh, he tells the people to go out and treat the roads. It may be coming into New Jersey. I mean, he's going crazy with treating the roads, you know. But um, yeah, it's the, that's this, just the, this brining of the roads in New Jersey. As I mean, it's it, it's it's it, it's incredible. But you know, the downside to that. Bob, is something that those of us who live in New Jersey and drive on the roads are also feeling. You take a look at your vehicle, and your cars oh, cars are just covered in salt. I mean, this there's an insane amount of salt that has been put down on roads that really haven't had a significant amount of snow. I mean, it's not like we've had blizzards and they've had to coat the roads. I mean, there's just so much salt that is put down. It's, it's One thing you can do is uh, you should go to the car wash as often as possible because they do, uh, you know, underneath the uh, car washes, and they can get a lot of that salt out from underneath the car, it's, which it, is uh, very helpful. It's essential to get the undercarriage uh, wash, mm-hmm. believe me. But the problem is uh, in New Jersey, we kind of feel like we have to be there every day, uh, literally, uh, with the amount of (laughs) brining that's taking place on the roads. Uh, Thank you very much for your call. And it's a very good point about the potholes. I mean, pothole season, uh, it it literally never stopped. It's not like it's about to start or anything like that. It's worse than ever. It's worse than ever right now, really. Take it from somebody who's on the road quite a bit. It's it's horrible out there. Yes, it is. Thank you for your call today, Bob. Take care. All right, take care. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Uh, let's go next to uh, Mike in East Rockaway. Mike, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Good morning, Bob. Good I'm morning. down in um, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for a month. Oh, good for you. Yeah, I had to get away from the uh, from the winter weather, and Mother Nature can be a mother sometimes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I-, I give a quick shout-out to Brian. 
because I've spoken to a lot of producers over the years. I don't call that often, but Brian's aces, uh, you know, while I'm waiting on deck. I'm 64 years old, Bob, and I do take a flu shot. You know, once you get to a certain age, you have to start taking better care of yourself. And uh, when I was working, I did 25 years with the MTA. And 16 of those first years were with track department. So I was like a two-legged animal out there. And in the winter, it's brutal. You know, it is brutal. But, you know, you really have to condition yourself when you get to a certain age to take care. You'll see the potholes. You'll see the extra brine and the salt on the road. But you know what? We've been lucky so far. It, it's been mild. And that secret, uh, uh, you know, storm that de Blasio never prepared for in, in, um, in November, uh, you know, they, they can take all the, uh, they, they can take all the uh, information that they have from the weather service. And northeast, you really can't tell what the weather's going to be like until six hours before the storm hits. So, you know, you mentioned before about Cuomo. He's preparing for storms uh, starting in the Dakotas. <laughs> but, you know, they just have to prepare in time. You know, don't wait till the 11th hour to do it. Um, just just do what needs to be done. Hey, Bob, mm-hmm. I got to finish with this. Uh, your voice over the radio is cool, calm, collected. And I listened to your show before Rick Wolf, which I enjoy every every Sunday. I've been enjoying that show for years. That's my, that's my um, opinion about you and how you perform behind the microphone, Bob. So uh, all the best. Thank you. And uh, I'll be tuned in, and I'll be listening to the duration of your show. Thank you very much, Mike. Take care now. Thanks, Bob. Uh, Let's see. Stay on the phones at 877-337-6666. That's our number here at The Fan. Brian Rascona at the controls this Sunday morning. We go next to Jay in Bergen County, New Jersey. Jay, good morning. Welcome to the Hey, fan. good morning, Bob. It's been a while. Yes, it so is. I have to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year, dude. And if Mike is still listening, I hear Mike all the time. He likes to call in. He's got a lot of information out there, this Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might be able to get him on the show there once in a while. They can throw out a lot of uh, positives. Okay. But anyway, hey, Mike, uh, we want to talk about Evan and uh, the homeless real quick. Uh, Evan, he had that laryngitis. Hopefully there was no viral infection, you know, with it, because if there was, he shouldn't have been in there. I tried to get into him during the week, and uh, he was sick most of the week. But, yeah, I guess he is a trooper. Uh, Him and Joe have a good show. Bob, as far as the homeless, uh, what can be done with these people? If you're watching the news in Chicago, picking uh, men and women up, out of these tents uh, and igloos, it looks like, uh, you, uh, you know, if homeless can walk into any police station, any government building, a library, uh, tell them they, they need shelter, Bob, and uh, something's got to help. You know, we got to do something for these homeless. Uh, got to get them... Uh, get more, more care. I don't know if they don't want to help themselves... I don't know what it is, but uh, this is what we got to think of. We can't have these people die in freezing in the street. No, but there also have to be beds available, too, because in some cases, you know, people... Bob, you know, San Francisco, <clears throat> some cities, uh, New York also, they're giving them tents to live on the street. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I don't go along with giving you shelter to live on the street. Not only is it bad for the homeless, it's just bad for the people... 
that have to uh, every day walk through that and uh, and deal with it and deal with the homeless. There's got to be a way to get them off the street, Bob. You know, you'll never do 100%, that's for sure. But listen, I'll just leave you like like that. You're a great guy, Bob. You, you know, a lot of great information you put out there. And uh, enjoy listening to your show. And you have a great day. And let's go Rams. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Okay. Right. Folks are doing their predictions on the Super Bowl. <laughs> not getting the Patriots fans here. Um, at least not yet. Um, you want to join us in our discussion. We had a little change in plans today um, with the guests who were scheduled to connect with. We haven't been able to, so hopefully we'll be able to reschedule uh, with him at another time and talk about um, the work of the organization that he founded and celebrating its 30th anniversary, actually, uh, this year. Um, and uh, what I've said we'll do is try to take some of your thoughts uh, 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. And I put out the idea of talking about the weather, you know, exactly what we've seen so far with snow conditions, obviously with the roads, some people want to talk about as well. Um, and just some general thoughts and ideas. We don't often get the chance to... Um, Open phones up on uh, this program, but when we do, usually we can branch into some very interesting areas in uh, discussion. You know, if somebody wants to, dare I even say this? And there's a side of me that winces when I do. You want to get into discussion about this government shutdown that just occurred and whether or not one is going to occur again? You can join us, 877-337-6666. You're going to determine exactly where we go in uh, this discussion this morning. In our next hour of our program, another guest is going to uh, join us and be in studio as we talk about the work of AHRC New York City and a lot of information to share with you on uh, that organization as we talk in uh, our program, too. Now, one of the things that I wanted to mention as well is a lot of times in the past on this program, on Super Bowl Sunday, we have had discussions on the topic of compulsive gambling. And some of you may be surprised that we're not doing that topic today. Um, I didn't want to do it uh, today. Um, just didn't. There are times when we will I don't like to be always 100% predictable on this program in terms of where we're going to do, go with things. And realistically, that topic is a highly appropriate one at any time. Uh, as you well know from the real world and advertisements here on the fan, you know, there's an awful lot of betting that is taking place today. I will just use the line that we hear very often from the announcements. Just keep in mind with the betting, you bet with your head if that's something you're going to do today, not over it. Something to please keep in mind, especially this Super Bowl Sunday morning. Ooh, now that sounds like a fun time. Hmm. It's going to be a busy week, isn't it? Well, good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. We're in our program on the fan. And what we've done in this uh, first hour of our show, we had changed things around a little bit uh, today from what we had planned and have kind of opened up the phones on this Super Bowl Sunday morning. 
You want to join us in discussion, you can, 877-337-6666. Some of the folks listening to us have put some ideas out there that we've talked about, about the weather, about the idea of whether or not to get a flu shot, things like the situation with potholes, the salt um, or over-salting at times of um, roadways. Um, one of the callers brought up the idea of talking about uh, situations that some cities are facing with people who are homeless. Um, you can join us on any of those topics or you want to bring up something else, feel free. 877-337-6666. That's our number here at The Fan. Let's go back to the phone. We go to uh, GW in North Carolina. GW, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Good morning, Bob. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah. Well, three topics I can talk about pretty much. I'm a safe consultant, and um, by the way, I'm a big big Yankee fan. I do want to mention that. Mm-hmm. Um, but being a safety consultant and a weather spotter, and one thing for sure, I can advise everyone always get a flu shot. It saved my life three years ago when the bad strain was out there. Still got the flu, but it didn't kill me. Mm, that's and uh, yeah, you know, and the weather is going to be like this for the rest of our lives. Uh, when global warming is causing these branches of the polar vortex to break off and then flow up north, and it'll come down and hit us like this. More and more regularly, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But the main thing I want to talk about was that last gentleman's moving comments and um, very um, empathetic com- uh, comments about um, homelessness. And um, I started, a, not to blow my own horn, I started a couple of nonprofits last decade, one in my parents' memory, who are from New York, and then a fine uh, junior high teacher we had back in the 60s. And um, I have a plan based on what uh, FDR did on the New Deal to end homelessness, a, a cottage industry to get folks off the street in every community, give them a place to live, give them education, give them um, you know, full health benefits that we're all entitled to, of course, and give them a job so that they can have um, a, a, a thing to do every day between 8 in the morning and 8 at night because no one wants to be homeless and and those, you know, and he was right. You're not going to get everyone off the street, but you know, we, you know, we're not going to be. We are the greatest country in the world, and um, and uh, we shouldn't have any homeless people. Though, admittedly, uh, even the most homeless person in, in this country probably better off than 95% of the rest of the world. But we are the greatest country. We really should stick to our beliefs and um, make people not homeless and uh, give them. Um, uh, you know, my dad always said, my dad served with General Patton in World War II as an officer, battled the Bulge, and you know, the greatest generation. They were very humble folks. Not many of them around anymore, unfortunately. My dad and mom were up in heaven the last 18 and 16 years, respectively. But dad said, all you can do in life is be a, a street sweeper and be the best one out there. Even to this day, I still can't sweep as well as my dad. <laughs> but um, but I appreciate you taking these calls this morning. I'd rarely I can get... 660 down the east coast of North Carolina this time, but I guess it was meant to be. Well, I'm heading off to. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question because you've actually intrigued me by talking about the idea of, um, you know, this plan or um, right. thought about efforts in the area of addressing slash ending homelessness. How would you pay? How would you pay for it? Well, that's a great question. Um, well, I. I don't want to rattle anyone's chain, but you brought it up. Um, I do a four-day presentation. I have copyright presentation safety. And day three, depending on the, my crowd, I sometimes, sometimes go down this avenue of um, empathy and helping people. 
Um, I'm efforting to put together a proposal with my um, co-director to get some funding from the Melinda Bill Gates Foundation, $100 million to start us off. Um, what I would do is um, if the actual funding is we can get the federal government ever to cooperate with each other and, and actually pass things, um, and the record's pretty clear, uh, in the, and, uh, and people sometimes don't believe me when I tell them this. I usually quiz it, but I'm not going to waste your time asking you know, um, questions. But in the 1950s, with um, eight years of Republican presidency, eight years of Republican Senate, and eight years of Republican House, and top of all that Republican control, we had what is known in the South, unfortunately, as Dixiecrats. And they were more conservative than any Republican you can think of at the time. But with all that com- complete control by Republicans, the top tax rate for the super rich back in the 50s, because there were no billionaires back then, they were just millionaires, and that was still plenty of money. The, the upper tax rate in federal government was 95%. Right. And even the day um, that, um, um, and that's the day when Eisenhower left the White House in January of 1961. And even the sad day when JFK was assassinated at Dealey Plaza, um, he he had gotten he and his brother RFK had gotten the tax rate down to sixty three percent. So with all that money in the federal coffers, that's why we had such wonderful things like making it to the moon in less than ten years. And of course, we had the terrible thing of Vietnam War. So, but we, if we just have one time fee. Of, uh, and uh, Gates and Buffett all say they want to give their money away to help people. Just give them a one-time fee of 90% on their money, and they can still, you know, Bill Gates is worth $100 billion, 90%. He still keeps $10 billion, and he can still make his money the rest of his life. But we put that money into the coffers, and, you know, we have end of homelessness. We have uh, free education, those who want to go to school as long as they want to go to reach their full potential. We have um, 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 we have a be- much better public schools. <laughs> Potholes won't be a problem anymore because there'll be a, a team of people out, out there to solve our roads. Crime will be greatly reduced because we have enough police out there. Uh, we have more security lighting. And the best part of the plan doing it like that is we actually have the same health insurance that our congressmen and, and senators have because we pay for that ourselves. And my dad was a retired officer, and when he got older in life, and he had he was an artillery, and they always used, they always used to warn these great heroes in World War Two that you know when you're young you jump off cannons all the time. My dad said eventually if you live long enough, it compresses your spine, and he had bad back problems. He went up to Walter Reed twice to have back surgery, and um, you know made his life better. Mm-hmm. And we would get the same. Um, you know, free medical care that our senators and congressmen get every day. And um, it's the money's there, sir. It's just we got to tap into the people who can pay it. And, um, you know, there's some plans out there, um, very interesting plans. Some of the young, great leaders coming up in the Democratic Party, you know, very generous souls. But, um, you know, if it's good enough for Republicans back in the 1950s, what's wrong with the Republicans now? And um, I think we can just lead by example. Not be afraid of the uh, negative comments because you know we know what we've been going through the last two plus years, and we just can't continue like that. We're not going to go backwards. We got to be here to to support each other and uh, make the world better. Right. Thanks for letting me. Thanks for letting me talk. Very I appreciate it. Interesting statement, and I'm sure you have a very good pre- presentation. 
Um, good luck with that idea. Thank you for calling this morning, GW. Could, could I mention my nonprofit's name? Sure. Yeah, you can. It's an on, online website. Let me spell the gentleman's name. It's a little bit unusual. It's P A N T E R Panther, like a man who makes pant. Panther Memorial Fund, F U N D dot com. And it's a website I started on the 15th of August of 2005. And um, I like to have everyone come join us. We just don't need just money. We need ideas and cooperation and and the grit to get things done like FDR did in the in the 30s. Thank you very much. Certainly good luck with your effort. Yeah, thank you, sir. And go Patriots. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, we got a Patriots fan jumping in the discussion here. Let's go next to uh, Jerry in Brooklyn. Jerry, good morning. Welcome to the fan. I'm a Jet season ticket holder, and I think the Patriots. <laughs> oh, good morning, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I just had so I've had enough of them. I just they're brilliant, and I hate them. Um, I just wanted to touch on homelessness. Um, I've worked in um, career services and education for nonprofits for 37 years with most of the at-risk population, and under Giuliani from 1994 to 2001. Homelessness, I'm looking at the numbers that I compile um, over the years. Um, from 94 to 201, homelessness was uh, a little over 27,000. Under Bloomberg, from 2002 to 2013, it jumped up 30, 30 a little over 35%, 36,000 to 200. And under de Blasio, it's 60,000 and counting. And, you know, I wondered, Bob, if unemployment is so low, why are more people becoming homeless each month? And I think one of the major reasons is stagnant wages. Our wages are not going up. And I think this is a problem that's growing. And, uh, you know, the politicians haven't answered the questions. Uh, They can't make tough decisions whether it's state or federal. Uh, I'm against illegal aliens entering, and I'm not going to get political, I'm against illegal aliens entering into our country. Um, my, My reasoning is there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. I also think illegal aliens can take jobs away from legal aliens that are here. Um, uh, you know, to come in and maybe get free health care, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, public assistance. Um, I don't trust our politicians. I mean, which handful of politicians do you think can run our health care system from soup to nuts? None of them are do- almost none of them are doctors. Almost none of them have ever worked in the health care system. They're pushing an ideology, uh, a theory. And uh, we have a lot of tough questions that we have to answer in this country. And, uh, and so, you know, if you were to ask me, do I want a wall? Is a wall immoral? No, I don't think a wall is immoral. I think the Berlin Wall was immoral to prevent people from leaving. But I, I think we have to uh, get a grip on this and take care of our own people first. Thanks, Bob. Have a good day. Thank you very much. Very interesting ideas you've put forth, uh, Jerry. Um, you know, this is part of the reason why I like having the opportunity to open the phones here. And we've got a few minutes left in uh, this hour. You want to jump in um, with a thought on some of the things that have been mentioned or something else, 877-337-6666. Because very often when we do this, 
you as listeners take us in directions that often may not be where I intended to go or was even thinking about going or thinking was a realistic possibility in terms of inspiring interest and feedback from folks listening. It also shows something that I've come to know in 25 years of doing this show. You cannot, and when I say you, I'm speaking mostly to myself as well as the rest of you. You cannot predict what people in this audience are going to think or say, especially during this show on Sunday morning. We get some very diverse views on things and some very interesting areas of discussion that we get into. And it's always interesting when people who don't know the show will say, well, uh, you, you just talk about sports on the show. Um, does everything have to have a sports angle? And I often like to say, just listen. You'll get your answer that way. Or check out one of the podcasts. Plenty of those on radio.com. Most interesting first hour of our program. We got a lot more to get to and an in-studio guest. And we always like when that happens too. That's next hour of our program. You don't want to go anywhere. This is an all-star Sunday. And that doesn't include me, but an all-star Sunday. You'll want to be here all day this Super Bowl Sunday on the fan. WFAN, WFAN-FM, New York, a radio.com station. It's Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, it's Super Bowl Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We move into a discussion in this hour of our program with... The gentleman who we've spoken with uh, before, he has an interesting uh, background in the human services uh, field. Marco Damiani is in studio with us on a program here at WFAN, and we always like when that happens, um, when guests are in studio. He is uh, capacity of CEO or chief executive officer of AHRC New York City. We're going to find out a lot about this organization and it's very timely that we are having this discussion because a couple of days from now, there's a most interesting event that is taking place over at the Grand Hyatt that we're also going to be talking about that will be of interest to a lot of the folks who are listening to our discussion today. First of all, it's nice to uh, see you again. Welcome back to The Fan. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. It's uh, great to be back. And good morning to you. I hope you've been well. Doing great. Thank you. 
AHRC New York City. Um, how do you, first of all, describe the organization? And maybe you can give us a little bit of its background. Sure, I'd love to. Um, AHRC is a New York, a New York City is a family-run organization. Uh, we support over um, 15,000 children and adults with uh, intellectual and other developmental disabilities mm-hmm. throughout New York City. And uh, our goal is really to realize uh, people's potential and empower people with disabilities uh, to really have the life that they uh, want to have. And when we're talking about this organization, um, how did it how did it get its start? How old an organization is this? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, Bob. Um, HRC has a long history. We were founded in 1949, and there's a terrific story behind that. Um, a mom named Ann Greenberg um, had a child with uh, what was called mental retardation. We don't use that term anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a pejorative term at this point, but in those days, that's the term. And uh, she put a six-line ad in the New York Post in 1948 asking for mothers of other children who had conditions like her son, if they were interested in helping to start a day nursery for their children. And as it turns out, um, she got 10 responses. But within a year, word of mouth traveled like wildfire. And um, I have a photo in my office about a year and a half later uh, of an event at the Commodore Hotel in New York City. And there were hundreds of people in tuxedos there to raise money for what became AHRC New York City. So we're 70 years old. This year is our 70th anniversary, and uh, we're very proud to have carried on the legacy and, and uh, maintained the spirit of Ann Greenberg. And in terms of the scope, the size of the organization, how many people are um, involved in, let's say, the day-to-day functions of AHRC New York City? Well, as I said earlier, we support about 15,000 people on a regular basis, and we have 5,000 staff. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a lot of people. It's a large organization, but, uh, you know, um, with that great size, becomes great, it has great talent as well. And uh, we're all throughout New York City in every borough uh, providing a broad range of services. Uh, you know, we were the first organization to open up a, a group residence where people could come out of an institution and, and live in the community. We uh, set up the first sibling network. Um, brothers and sisters have needs as well if they have a, a, a sibling with, uh, with disabilities. Um, so we were the first to do that, and we have one of the largest supported work programs in the country. We put people to work and give them the support they need to be productive uh, citizens. Okay. Let's go back to something you mentioned very early on, and that is about this term of mental retardation basically being kind of a pejorative term uh, now. Attitudes have changed. There's a whole lot that has changed in this country in our, our lifetimes. As a result of that change, is that reflective of an overall change in attitude um, when it comes to talking about or even awareness of mental health issues? I think it. I think it does. Um, you know, one of the uh, the major um, hallmarks of the transition, I think, for this population was closing down institutions. Mm-hmm. There was a notorious institution on Staten Line called Willowbrook. Um, which uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy visited in the late, in late 60s, uh, and Harold uh, Rivera famously uh, mm-hmm. did an expose on that. But over many, many decades at this point, um, there have been additional funds to include people in the community. I think the general uh, community in New York City now sees uh, people all the time that have disabilities. And um, there's been great uh, effort in the media 
to promote um, awareness. And uh, I think we see that uh, people with disabilities are, di- are pretty much like us. Uh, difference can be a good thing. And um, uh, I think, uh, as I've certainly spent a lot of my career, all my career in this field, I've seen there are people with, uh, we call uh, developmental disabilities, DD for short, who can do things that I can't do. So to, uh, to use the so-called R word, I think, is, uh, is uh, um, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, really not respecting the, the, uh, the value that people bring to us on a day-to-day basis, uh, whether they have a disability or not. When you say do things that I can't do, I'm referring to yourself, like what? Well, for instance, um, uh, I was walking through a program last week, and uh, I ran into a guy who um, uh, actually writes code. Uh, he's got autism, and he writes. I can't write code, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's an example. Really, another really, really good example. We have amazing artists um, at our organization, and um, we have, um, in some cases, their art being displayed right next to artists without disabilities. You can't tell the difference. This work is terrific. It's passionate. Um, it, it tells a story. So I think we have to really, as I said earlier, realize people's potential, uh, whether it's our staff, people we support, their families. Um, I think it, 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 it sets a tone that we all have something to offer and to give. And as long as we're patient, we pay attention, and we listen, we can have a great impact on people's lives. Okay, let's talk about that word potential, because you've triggered something in my thought process in, in saying that. And this kind of goes back to what you were saying in your explanation of the scope of the organization earlier. And this ties into potential. Because I think of the individual you mentioned who writes code, okay? And yeah, believe me, I couldn't do that either, all right? Mm. Uh, Even just the thought of it (laughs) makes me fidget, literally. Mm. Um, This idea of viewing people as they're in a box and they'll never be able to basically get out of that box, I'm speaking in a theoretical sense. Um, That's what we need. I've said for years, we've needed to get past when we're talking about people who have DD, developmental disabilities, Mm -hmm. right? Is it a help with some of the shift, the transition that you mentioned earlier in terms of opening up opportunities for people you're serving, you're working with? Absolutely it is. And I think um, uh, employers especially have been much more open um, to enabling employment for people with, with DD. I think, you know, a number of years ago, it was almost seen as a charitable exercise. Let's, mm-hmm. let's get a person to mm-hmm. work in the back room. Um, and, you know, I don't want to diminish the fact that that was helpful at a certain point in time. But now I think I know that there are employees that are actually seeing real value and are seeking out people with disabilities. A good, great examples of that are, uh, you know, Google um, uh, here in New York City, Salesforce is a very large presence. And, um, you know, there are lots of organizations now that see the value uh, that people with disabilities can bring, um, their unique talents. Um, you know, I was talking with a, um, a restaurant owner last week that we're doing some work with, and he's making a point of having people with disabilities actually in the restaurant space, not behind the scenes, mm-hmm. not in the kitchen, but where, uh, where patrons can come in and, and, and see that that inclusion is really critical. And I think the more we do that, the more it becomes a fabric of our society. I think, you know, um, you know we're at a time in our, in our society when sometimes being different is kind of not so great. And uh, I think we're, uh, we're, we're at HRC really focusing on um, promoting the fact that um, 
the differences matter. And in fact, um, the only thing we have in common is, is differences. I'm different from you, different from me. We have commonality too, but we're different people. And I think we have to make sure that we're um, promoting differences because they provide value to society and give people opportunity. You know, you look at the leadership of large organizations and companies, and it's interesting that you mentioned Google because Google, in the neighborhood literally where WFAN and uh, its sister uh, radio stations are located here on uh, Hudson Street in lower Manhattan, this area in the next block or so is a huge presence of Google coming in and even an aspect of Google is coming in on one of the upper floors in this very building where we are. That sort of um, receptiveness on the part of not just up and coming, but leading companies and even companies in the field like technology, that can inspire others, can it? It sure can. And uh, I think that, um, you know, we're, we're also at um, really almost – zero unemployment, you know, it's 4%, 3.9%. So seeing the value in this population and seeing how they can promote uh, um, value to an organization, to a company, um, I think is, is becoming self-evident. And um, so it's no longer charity, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a good business decision. It's, it's, it's a good message. Um, and the more diverse a workforce is, and there's lots of research that, that demonstrates this, the more diverse a workforce is, the more capable it is, the more productive it is, the happier the employees are. So this fits into a larger social justice narrative, I think, that's really critical. So we're in the in the, in the human service business of helping people with DD have full lives. We're part of, we're part of a, a larger social fabric, I think, is, uh, that really is is committed to ensuring we have vibrant societies and that we give people an opportunity to be whatever they can be. And one of the things that we will do a number of times in the course of this discussion, because there are going to be things that we, because of time constraints uh, that we're under here, we're not going to have a chance to explore. But some of the people listening to us may want more information. There may be people who are listening who want to be in contact with you as a result of this discussion today, uh, for whatever reason. What's the best way for them to reach you? Well, there are a couple of ways. We have a website, ahrcnyc.org. Uh, you can also call us on a referral line at 212-780-4491. Uh, that's the information line for AHRC. Um, again, the website is ahrcnyc.org. And our phone number is 212-780-4491. Okay. Now, what we'll do is get into a discussion as we move into the next segment of our program, talking about this event that's taking place in a couple of days, because <clears throat> we're going to need a little bit of time to talk about that. We've got a couple of minutes here before we take a pause for um, Dave Uram's look around the sporting world and some messages. Talk us with us a little bit about the people who do the work of AHRC New York City. Um, what are they like? What kind of backgrounds do they have? Very diverse backgrounds. Um, you know, I do um, orientation every uh, month, and uh, I'm the first person they see. And uh, one of the first questions I ask is, uh, who's worked in our field before? Many people have, but we have plumbers. We have uh, people who have not worked in the field before, and uh, they have a passion for helping others. So with a, work, with a workforce of 5,000 people, um, it's trem- tremendously diverse. I think the common denominator is um, uh, a passion for helping others. Um and I also think that what we found is that there's tremendous opportunity for creativity in our workforce. Uh, 
Mm. Because what we're doing is we're um, going through a process of helping someone's life be better. And while we have rules and regulations like any large government-funded organization does, um, we promote a real um, environment where people's uh, uh, ideas are valued. Uh, we do our very best to create positive energy environments, and I think great things can happen when that happens. And we have everything from people who direct work every day, do direct support work, to clinicians, uh, nurses, um, doctors. Um, we have managers. We have over 400 managers that work around the organization being role models for, for their staff and promoting um, local excellence in the work that we do every day. So it's a, it's a tremendous workforce. It's a challenged workforce, though. Um, you know, New York City is an expensive place to live. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have uh, most of our funding comes from government, from Medicaid or Medicare and some grants and federal dollars as well. Um, and frankly, um, the job that our workforce does is not a minimum wage job. We're very happy that minimum wage has gone up uh, to $15 in New York City. Um, but um, our workforce really does need to earn more money than that. We've been pretty staunch advocates uh, in Albany to ensure we have the funding necessary to, uh, to pass along um, those dollars to our workforce. Marco Damiani, who is CEO of AHRC New York City, our guest this hour of our program. After our 9 o'clock update this morning, Mike Francesa is along from Atlanta. And, of course, after our 8 o'clock update, Sports Edge with Rick Wolf. You're on the fan. It's Sunday morning on the fan. It's a super lineup today on WFAN. Don't want to go anywhere. Sports Edge after our 8 o'clock update. We are in discussion with Marco Damiani on our program. He is CEO of AHRC New York City, and he's with us in this hour of our program on the fan. AHRCNYC.org website, uh, 212-780-4991. Phone number mentioned earlier. You want to be in contact with AHRCNYC. In this discussion, there's so many different areas where potentially we are going to go. And I'll mention the fact, too, that if um, some of the folks who are listening to us are on point with what we're talking about, you have a question or thought, you can reach us here at the fan at 877-337-6666. That's our number. Now, I've teased a couple of different times the fact that two days from today is an event at the Grand Hyatt Hotel. This is um, the 39th annual Thurman Munson Awards Dinner that is taking place. Tell us a little bit about this event because this sounds like um, quite the evening. It really is, uh, Bob, and um, you'll excuse me for talking about baseball and Super Bowl Sunday. Um, <laughs> hey, but... <laughs> it'll be here before we know it. <laughs> um, but uh, this is an event, um, as you said, it's our 39th annual event, um, and uh, really is in, um, in honor of a Yankee great Thurman Munson. His wife, Diana, has been a staunch supporter of ours for all these years, and a terrific lady, and um, she's here again this year. And we have some amazing um, athletes. I've, I've been following this event now for a long time, and this is one of our best years ever. Um, we have a number of awardees. Uh, Yankees manager Aaron Boone is going to be there. Um, Didi Gregorius, terrific shortstop. Believe it or not, Mr. October, Reggie Jackson is going to be joining us. Um, and uh, he's going to present the um, uh, Thurman Munson Award to Yankees rookie sensation Miguel and Duhar. Um, we got some Mets involved here too. We got uh, Ed Cranepool coming in, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Amazing Mets, um, and two-time uh, New York Giants Super Bowl champ Zach Deasi is going to be there. 
Um, Ron Sabota is going to be there as well and some other um, great sports heroes. Um, I want to mention Diana Munson briefly, if I can. Mm -hmm. Um, The pleasure of giving her a tour of one of our programs, actually two of our programs on Friday. One was a preschool for uh, little kids three to five with uh, developmental delays, and the other was a day program for adults. And um, this is a passionate woman who really cares about the work that we do. Um, very respectful, asks great questions. Um, somebody who really, I think, embodies um, recognition that a diverse society is really one that we need to all live in. And to have um, helped uh, have this event be a terrific success for 39 years is really a wonderful testament to her commitment to our work. So I want to thank her publicly for that. You know, we're at the Grand Hyatt, a great venue there. And uh, there's still time if uh, people want to come uh, and uh, uh, be involved in the event. Um, they can give us a call at 212-249-6188. That's 212-249-6188. Or they can email uh, one of our lead people, Jennifer, at emgbenefits.com. That's Jennifer at, at emgbenefits.com. This event, um, what does this mean to the organization, to AHRC NYC? It's, um, it means so many things. First, it gives us a uh, presence in the community, which mm-hmm. is, of course, very important. You can't do much better than the athletes I mentioned. And there's also going to be others like Daryl Strober will be there, too. So it's, a, it's an endless parade of terrific uh, athletes. But I think most importantly, this event has helped us raise over $16 million through our foundation. And that money goes into really supporting people's lives and giving them great opportunities to, to work in the community, have a place to live, um, and, and support our staff, too. So it's, uh, it's really our, our centerpiece every year. And, uh, you know, we're honoring um, people who have really contributed to, uh, to our, uh, our work over the years. Gary Green, CEO of Alliance Baseball, is going to receive a humanitarian award. Um, Michael Rosen, who's the uh, former uh, chairperson of our foundation, uh, senior counsel at Brian Cav, LLP is going to be there, um, and the voice of the Yankees, Michael K, um, is going to be our MC. Michael's been great, um, nice competitor over there, but he's going to be great uh, as he has been uh, being MC for the event. So uh, come on out and uh, support us if you can. It sounds like a, a fascinating event. Um, putting that all together, what does that take? Maybe a week or so. Yeah, a little more than that. <laughs> we pretty much start when it ends. Um, we go back, we do a postmortem. We uh, people helping us out. It takes a, um, a more than a village to do this event. Uh, it's a it's a terrific opportunity. Um, but yes, yeah, a lot of work, a lot of work. And when you're able to um, have the awareness, um, the publicity that comes from an event like this. Um, Realistically, does that also have um, an effect on what we were talking about earlier, this kind of transformation? I think it does, yeah. You have um, people that uh, are household names, mm-hmm. um, um, not just in this country, but internationally in some cases. And uh, they're coming out and they are genuinely engaged. Um, they're making, uh, I think, a statement that um, you can have great value uh, whether you hit uh, 50 home runs or whether you work uh, in an organization um, you know, helping people with disabilities or if you're a person with a disability contributing to a business, uh, we all have value. And I think uh, in some ways the event's a great leveler because we have people with disabilities at the event. 
And we see their talents displayed. We have uh, auctions of um, amazing artwork. So I think in that respect, it's a public display of, um, of really a, a diverse world and a diverse organization and a diverse uh, um, society that we want to be uh, all a part of, hopefully. I didn't ask you this earlier when we were talking about who it is that is served by the work of AHRC, NYC. Age-wise... How young do you start? Our youngest uh, uh, people are about three years old, so we start pretty young. And, and what are you doing with them? Uh, we're, you know, some of these kids have uh, delays. Uh, they might have uh, a disability like palsy or autism or Down syndrome, and we're helping get them prepared for school. So it's preschool. Uh, it's preschool, right. basically, yeah. And uh, so some of these kids, um, the school we visited on Friday, about half those kids end up in regular education. So think about that. Um, we get involved. With three-year-olds, we teach, uh, we educate, we provide therapies, and half of the kids end up going into regular education. That's not only great for the kid and their family, saves a lot of money. Um, you know, if these kids hadn't gotten the attention they needed, they could have been in uh, special services for a long, long, long time. So we think we add tremendous value to the family and to New York City generally. Um, the oldest person, um, we just had someone who passed away. She's a wonderful woman. She died at 100 years old. Uh, last year. So um, that's a pretty broad spectrum wow. of people. And um, I think one of the great messages here is that um, organizations like ours, and there are many of them around the country in New York City, have done a wonderful job uh, providing services and supports and better health care. It's not as good as it needs to be. There's still an access problem for people with disabilities, but people living much, much, much longer than they did uh, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. Um, so we have to also be prepared to have people that are aging with disabilities and be sure they have a productive and uh, dignified life as well. You know, you think back to that first group residence that was opened in New York City, I think the year was 1970 um, that that occurred. And you think of attitudes um, prevalent then, basically lasting for decades, and a lot of that being something's been referred to as the NIMBY syndrome or not in my backyard. Where are we today with facilities like that? That's a great question. Um, I think it's far better than it was in those days. I think um, there was lack of understanding. There was fear. Uh, we fear things we don't understand. That's mm-hmm. human nature. And I think a lot of the things we've been talking about all morning, Bob, um, demonstrate that there is a greater presence of people with disabilities um, in the community. And really, when you think about it, who of us hasn't been touched by this? It may be once or twice removed, but most of us know somebody, maybe we have a family member who has a developmental disability. Um, we see somebody down the street. Now we're seeing them working. Mm-hmm. We're seeing them on TV. Uh, it's really something I think that uh, is much more common, and it's closer than you think. And um, so in that, in that that respect, has become much easier. It's not perfect that we still get pushback every so often, but... I think for the most part, if you do a good job, if people are seen, the value they provide, um, in many of our, of our communities, um, our neighbors are friends. They come by, they go in the backyard of the barbecue, uh, they help us out, and, uh, and we help them out too. So it's, uh, it, it's progressed quite a bit. How do you handle the pushback? Well, you know what? Um, we try to explain as best we can. We try to demonstrate um, time after time how successful we've been. Um, there are certain... Um, you know, laws and statutes that protect our ability to right. be in communities. We mm-hmm. go through processes. We're open. We're transparent about it. And I think we're good problem solvers. 
So if you give us some time and you have, uh, um, you know, some concerns, I think we can work it through. Mm. Early on in this discussion, you talked about the idea of um, a sibling network um, being established. What was that experience like, or what has that been like? Yeah, it's uh, it's fundamental. I think that you know, rightfully so, so much focus has been on moms and dads. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think one of the biggest fears in our community is that you know parents pass away eventually, and uh, you know sometimes someone with a disability really does need lifelong support. And um, that often falls on to the brother or the sister. And uh, we have to talk about it. They need support. They need to know somebody else is out there experiencing the same thing. It, it, it strengthens their network. Um, it, it gives, I think, comfort to um, other family members. And also gives them a, a support system uh, that helps problem solve going forward um, in their lives. Um, you know, people don't live forever. And uh, you know, most families want uh, a, a person with a, with a DD it's in their family to um, have um, the support and comfort they need going forward, but also to have an advocate. And uh, uh, we want to be sure that brothers and sisters that, uh, that care for their uh, brother or sister with DD um, um, stays healthy, stays mentally healthy, has the support they need to, uh, to still, be, still be effective part of the family. And when you're talking about the folks with DD that you've worked with, been able to serve over the years, one of the areas of focus in a discussion like this is about things that they want to accomplish, they want to do in their lifetimes. Some people years back may have thought this idea would have just not been realistic. But let me put the question out there. Is it a desire, and how is this explored, the idea of, people who want to live on their own. Is that something that is expressed? Yeah, it is. And uh, I think um, many things have come together to make that more and more possible. Um, not everybody can do that. Mm-hmm. But but I think in some ways our responsibility is to do mo- do no more than is needed. Um, you know, we're not a ter- caretaker organization. Right. We don't want to do for people if they can do it themselves, if we can get them to do it themselves. Um, and I think that uh, clearly... Technology has helped that too. A lot, there's a lot of concern for safety, and I think technology has helped us in, in those areas to some extent. Um, and we now have people who, um, you know, maybe maybe we're living uh, uh, with 24-hour support, and now they're pretty much on their own. Someone checks in with them uh, a couple times a week, and uh, the tremendous pride um, in that situation. And also, frankly, um, we can use our resources more. Uh, wisely when we help people become more productive and we can spend a little more time with someone who needs some more help and support. So I think in that respect, um, you know, that's a, uh, an area we've seen a lot of progress. I think another area related to that, uh, since you asked, is that um, a number of years ago, to think of someone with DD going to college would have been in the stratosphere. And I'm very happy to say that we just celebrated our 10th anniversary for a program called the Melissa Riggio Higher Education Program. Melissa was a a young lady with Down syndrome who passed away much too early in her life and mm-hmm. wanted to go to college. We've now worked with the city university system and we have four colleges where people with, uh, with DD are actually attending college and they're graduating and they're mm-hmm. getting jobs. So um, this to me is one of the greatest successes um, of our organization that um, to be able to do something that was not imaginable 15 or 20 years ago through, through support from others um, and having these kids now in college with 
so-called typical students, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. um, is tremendously uh, powerful, I think. Marco Damiani is in studio with us on a program this morning. He is CEO of AHRC NYC. More with him as we continue here on The Fan. Oh, it's nice hearing from Mr. Sterling on this program. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We're in discussion with Marco Damiani on our program. He is CEO of AHRC NYC. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. Mike Francesa. Hey, we haven't said that on a name on a Sunday morning here. Long after our 9 o'clock update. Uh, on the fan, live from Atlanta, Malusis and Deal along this afternoon. And, of course, the big game is on the fan later today, as you've been hearing. Now, we're talking about the work of AHRC NYC. We've mentioned website, phone number earlier in this discussion. Would you repeat those? I'd be happy to. It's uh, ahrcnyc.org. You can also call us at 212-780-4491. That's 212-780-4491. Okay. Now, so many areas where potentially we can go in discussion here, um, including the sort of things that perhaps are on the wish list of the organization. But I want to follow on the area that you were mentioning just before we uh, paused for Dave's update and messages when you were talking a little bit about this whole idea of higher education. Is that, um, or how much of a key is that to employment for, and, you know, career opportunities for people with DD? Well, just like it is for you and me, it's the same for them. And, uh, you know, we broke down barriers uh, 40 years ago by getting people out of institutions into communities where they could live uh, side by side with uh, other individuals. And then, you know, over the years, many other barriers broke down. This is one of the more recent ones. Um, and I think it has to do with um, really, first of all, recognizing potential and realizing it. Secondly, getting like-minded academic institutions to recognize um, the expanding of the term diversity and seeing the value to the general student body. This is a program that doesn't just help kids with DD go to college. It enables students without DD to understand what it's like to, to uh, see somebody who really has um, tremendous value and potential within their, uh, within their uh, academic setting. So, you know, what happens is people go to college and, and they're better um, equipped to get a job. And uh, that's what's been happening over the last 10 years. You know, we had a celebration a couple of weeks ago, Bob, at the Harvard Club. Mm. And I think... What a way to turn something on its head. Really? To have a 10-year anniversary for kids, now young adults and adults with DD, at the Harvard Club. And um, we had 75 students there. We had over 250 people there, people from academia, family members, corporate supporters, these kids, HRC staff. It was a a wonderful melting pot of support. And um, a lot of these kids came back, and now they're 30 years old, and they have jobs. Um, they're making money, they're paying taxes, they're proud of themselves, their families are, are um, over the moon. Uh, they couldn't have imagined this when their kid was maybe five or, five or six years old. So um, there isn't enough of it, though. Uh, there are a lot of other uh, young adults who, uh, with the right support and the right accommodation, could go to college. You know, the ADA was signed um, uh, was 40 years ago, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and uh, a part of the, the uh, um, intent there is to accommodate provide a combination of people with disabilities. And I think this college program uh, does that, not so much for physical disabilities, which I think is a combination is obvious to us all, but to give people access 
Let them demonstrate that they can do what they need to do. Let's start with access, and then let's start with support. You know, one of the great ironies, I guess, if you can phrase it that way, you go back to, you were talking about the um, Melissa Riggio Higher Education Program. In a way, it's ironic that the College of Staten Island is one of the locations um, where this program was started. I think it's something like 10 years ago. And that facility literally is on the same grounds as the old Willowbrook State School. I mean, um, talk about the definition of irony, literally. Absolutely. It was um, uh, it was an emotional graduation ceremony for me mm. to have been there. I'd actually been at Willowbrook um, right out of college, uh, you know, a bright-eyed college student, wanted to save the world, and I went to Willowbrook. For a couple of years, a uh, um, few days a week, and it was a life-changing experience. And um, to have been back in those same buildings that literally warehoused people for decades, and to now see students there with disabilities um, getting an education, um, and others getting an education, is the definition of social justice and change. And uh, we're very proud to have been a major proponent of that program, and very Happy to have uh, um, you know, my partners at CUNY to be like-minded. This idea of priorities when it comes to um, opportunities, and here we're talking about funding as well for people with DED, where, where do you turn for leadership on that? I mean, is this something where you turn to state government, federal government, or just what? Yeah, federal and state government, for sure. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, a major part of our funding is through Medicaid. People think of Medicaid as sort of paying for doctor's visits and hospitals, which it right. does. But uh, the Medicaid program, actually, a large part of its its success is, is providing supports and services to people with disabilities, not just DD, but all disabilities. And um, um, those dollars are really used to to empower people and, and have them contribute to society and support organizations like ours. Um, and um, I think like any um, nonprofit organization, always looking for additional dollars. Advocacy is always important. Um, there's a lot of noise in the world, um, people looking for money for their own cause, and we need to stay out there and, and make a case for the value we add. We don't want – we just don't want money. We want to show how we're using – resources to provide value to individuals and to families and to our communities. I think we do a good job at it, um, you know, but there isn't enough money. There isn't enough to do the work we want to do. So we rely on fundraising such as the Munson dinner. And um, we certainly work hard to get grants as well. What's the receptiveness like there? Uh, it's okay. You know, depends. <laughs> it's on and off. Um, every year around this time um, we go to Albany um, and uh, we advocate for the work that we do. And I think what's critically important is we put the people we support in front of us. If I go sit into a, in a senator's office or an assembly person's office, I'm not doing the talking. You know, I might say hello and introduce a couple of people. But the most uh, compelling and powerful circumstance is when someone, say, graduated from the Melissa Riggio program can talk about they now have a job right. and they want somebody behind them to have that opportunity too. Or when a mom talks about a mom who's 80 years old and she's got a 45-year-old son with Down syndrome living at home and she just can't do it anymore, she's doing the talking. 
And I think those stories are the ones that, that resonate. I think those are the uh, circumstances that hopefully continue to bring more dollars into our system because we can demonstrate value. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to talk about something that I alluded to um, a couple of moments ago because I think it's a perfect thing to dovetail into. And that's kind of what's on the wish list of AHRC NYC. But let me mention as well uh, for the folks who are listening to us that there's a couple of programming notes for this week on WFAN I want to point to. One of them, something you've been hearing about and heard about a little bit earlier from uh, John Sterling. This Tuesday night from 7 to 9, it's John Sterling, Susan Waldman, and Joe Castiglione, Red Sox play-by-play announcer at River Spring Health, 5901 Palisade Avenue in Riverdale in the Bronx. We'll have it live on the fan up in the Boston area. It's going to be simulcast on uh, AM 850 WEEI, legendary station up there. You're also welcome to stop by, see the show in person, free admission. Then Thursday night, you ready for this one? Boomer Esaias and Greg Giannotti broadcasting the Devils-Islanders game from the Prudential Center. And the Devils announcer, somebody I know very well, went to school with him, Matt Lachlan, will also be there to lend a helping hand. Puck drop right around 710 with Boomer and Geo hitting the air at 630 for the special broadcast. Some very interesting things happening. Of course, today on The Fan, we've got Super Bowl and Super Bowl lineup, literally, of shows, including Mike Francesa, long from Atlanta after our 9 o'clock update. Sports Edge follows our 8 o'clock update. Marco Damiani, who is CEO of AHRC NYC, our guest on our program on The Fan this hour. What's on the organization's wish list? That's a great question. No, you, 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 Nothing? <laughs> <laughs> all, all, all your dreams have been fulfilled? No problem. Um, you know, we're, um, uh, we've been around 70 years, and I think like any organization, we have to continue to modernize. So um, certainly, you know, I, I wish that we can help more and more people, but, you know, we got to be top-notch in our technology too. Mm. So one of our major activities is to have an electronic health record system that supports 15,000 people. That's expensive. But when you think about um, how we communicate, how we provide opportunity, how we keep people safe, how we use our resources efficiently. You've got to use technology to keep our workforce informed, motivated, um, and able to do things in the 21st century that build upon what we did in the 20th century. So I would say optimizing technology is certainly one of the wish list, wish, wish list items. And government doesn't really pay for that stuff, right? So um, we got to find ways to find money to be sure we're really on cutting edge technology in our field. Sounds like an excellent time to mention again the event that is taking place Tuesday night. This is the uh, 39th annual Thurman Munson uh, dinner at HRC New York City at the Grand Hyatt on 42nd Street at Grand Central uh, this Tuesday. Um, we hope you can join us. Give us a call at 212-249-6188 or email jennifer at emgbenefits.com and certainly go to our website and it's plastered all over there. There's a lot of information uh, on the website about this and also it's quite the evening that is planned there. When we talk about this idea of productivity, quality of life for the people that you're working with, it's a theme that you have stated a couple of different times seems very consistent, and I have a feeling it's going to be your response here. Of the people with DD wanting the same thing as everybody else, 
Is that the case? Well, unfortunately, it's not. Bob has gotten a lot better over the years, but um, you know, there's actually research on this, and uh, um, you know, we see that um, only about seventy percent of people with DD in New York State actually say they have friends. I mean, who among us doesn't have a friend? Um, about the same amount went out um, for entertainment. They're they're still not out in the community as much as they need to, um, and I think in the area of productivity, um, you know. There's a very low percentage of people with DD that are working. It's in the 13% range. When you think about the things we've talked about this morning, uh, the possibilities, the opportunities, the low unemployment rate, these are real opportunities for us to really improve quality of life, improve inclusion, and improve contributions to society. People with DD are not takers. They're people who can contribute, and they do contribute. Um, I don't see HRC as a charity. I see us as a social justice organization that makes communities better and stronger and creates opportunities for our staff, our families, and the people we support. And how do you see the organization growing, let's say, over the next 12 to 18 months? Well, I think we have demand for services. And part of the challenge we have right now is that um, our funding is not keeping pace with the demand. Um, So we're working hard to be efficient, working hard to find ways to uh, give people supports that they need. Um, and certainly we're paying a lot of attention to our workforce. We really value our staff tremendously. They're our greatest asset. They're the people who support the people. And if we can't support them, then we're not doing a great job. We need to give them opportunities for higher education, graduate school, um, certainly mentoring. Uh, we've got to be sure that they have an opportunity for growth within the organization. Organizations that grow are, are, are vibrant organizations and they're successful. So one of my goals is to be sure we're growing in a way that makes sense to help people we support, and to help our staff have new opportunities. A-H-R-C-N-Y-C.org, 212-780-4491. Hey, I got the number right this time. Okay. <laughs> you want information on A-H-R-C-N-Y-C? Those are the places to go. And let's hope for a very successful event with the dinner on Tuesday night. Thank you very much, Marco, for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Great to be here. Marco Damiani, CEO of AHRC NYC, our guest on our program, and a very busy show this morning. Our tip of the hat to Brian Rascona for keeping us on point from a technical aspect. Along after our 8 o'clock update, well, look at this. There he is in the warm-up circle, Rick Wolf, getting ready for the Sports Edge program. Long after our 9 o'clock update, down in Atlanta, Mike Francesa getting ready for a football program and Melusis and Deal follow him this afternoon. Enjoy the game, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.